Uh, real quickly, on behalf of Student Ministries, um, I want to take a moment and just thank all of you guys for your faithful giving. We were able to take 130 students um, to camp this past summer, and uh, as you guys can see, uh, it, it plays an eternal role in their lives. Um, $15,000 was given away for scholarship help to make sure students can go to camp. So seriously, on the, from the bottom of my heart, as one of the youth pastors here at Cornerstone, thank you for your faithful giving because it goes to stuff like this where people come to faith and give their life to Jesus. So give yourselves a round of applause if you don't mind. Thank you. Speaking of the kingdom of heaven, today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew that I would argue is completely foundational to our walk as believers. When I think about the upside-down kingdom and the principles of the kingdom of God, what we're going to talk about today is something that is so important and so profound that Jesus goes so far as to say, if you don't do this, then you might think you know me, but I would argue you know nothing about me. You don't have a clue as to who I am. You have no idea as to what I stand for. It's a, it's a principle and an action Jesus requires that is so radical. It's so radical that when it's put into practice, it changes relationships. It changes communities. It changes families. It changes people groups. It can change a whole nation. And in my life, it's one of the greatest factors of my growth, of my change. It's one of the reasons why I know Jesus is real, why his principles actually matter, why trusting him with your life actually matters. And so open your Bibles to Matthew 6, verses 9 through 14, and let's read about one of God's upside-down principles in his kingdom. Matthew 6 says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We, li we live in a culture, in my humble opinion, that breathes unforgiveness. We love revenge over forgiveness. We see it everywhere today. The movies we love, the music we love, the social media platforms that we love, and the way that we use them with this new concept of canceling those that have made mistakes in their past, right? Think about the movies that we love. John Wick. There's a third one coming out. Kill Bill, The Gladiator, Rocky IV, when the Italian stallion defeats the Russian boxer Ivan Drago. On Netflix, The Punisher. Or how about one of my all-time favorites, The Princess Bride. My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die, right? <laughs> we love ourselves a good payback movie, a vengeful movie. Think about the songs that we love. All-American Rejects. Anybody an All-American Reject fan up in here? When you see my face, I hope it gives you hell. I hope it gives you hell, right? 
It's just me and you, Amber. <laughs> Only All-American Reject fans over here. Adele's Rolling in the Deep. I know you guys know this one. Adele's Rolling in the Deep. Think of me in the depths of your despair. Payback. And if you don't think that song resonated with people, it's today. I just looked it up. Sitting at over 1,830,000,000 views. Think about Carrie Underwood, who took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, right? Who slashed a hole in all four tires. Why? So maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. And now today, our culture has taken this idea of our love for payback, and it's gone to a whole new level. We just cancel you all together. We make sure you not only get what you deserve, but also we make sure that you never get back up again. You will never be allowed back in the public square, the job, the friend group, in the circle. You are now canceled, sometimes for things that you did 20, 30, 40 years earlier. And here's the thing. I think the reason why these songs and movies of unforgiveness and, and payback sells so well. The reason why cancel culture has become a thing today is because all of humanity, all of us in this room can identify with hurt and pain caused by someone that we love, caused by someone that we trusted. Every one of us can identify with the pain of this world. We can identify with Adele having a girlfriend or boyfriend break up with us. We can identify with being treated unfairly by a boss or an employer. We can identify with having a best friend publicly hurt us or, or share a secret that they were never supposed to share. We can identify with the pain of sexual abuse because of something that happened to us or because of something like that that happened to someone that we love. You see, all of us in this room, we know what it feels like to be hurt. And so when we hear songs or watch movies about people getting paid back for what they've done wrong, it feels good, right? We naturally identify with the person that has been victimized. But here's the thing. In Jesus' kingdom, he tells us to do something absolutely crazy, upside down. So counterintuitive that it feels at times like it's impossible to do. He says, my gospel, my good news is that I'm making everything that's gone wrong right. Everything that's gone wrong with this world, I'm trying to put back together. The kingdom of heaven is here. And in order to make everything right, we must release the spirit of unforgiveness that we love to hold on to. And he says, when you pray, pray that my, my kingdom will come to this earth and do something to join me in bringing that kingdom to earth. Forgive those that have hurt you. Forgive them. Forgiveness in the cancel culture doesn't belong in the kingdom of heaven. Bitterness and resentment doesn't belong in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying in this verse very profoundly that you can't move in my direction. You can't move in the direction of, of me and the kingdom and remain unforgiving. It's impossible. It doesn't work. Which is why he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I read this, at first glance, it seems very confusing to me. 
It sounds like in order to be forgiven, which is another way of saying being saved from our sins, it sounds like we have to do something first. We have to forgive in order to be forgiven. But just to make sure Jesus' disciples didn't go down this dangerous path of religion, which is another way of being lost, I earn my way into heaven. Jesus tells a parable a few chapters later to better explain this concept of forgiveness and how it works in his kingdom. If you guys would, would turn to Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and this is what it says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Which to his Jewish listeners would have simply meant, like, you never stop forgiving. An infinite amount of times. You always keep forgiving. But then Jesus goes on to say, Peter, let me tell you what forgiveness looks like in my family, in my kingdom. 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, many of your Bibles say 10,000 talents, right, instead of bags of, of gold. And, and to us modern people, we hear that and we think that sounds like a, a lot. He owed a lot of debt. But to Jesus' listeners, they would have laughed at this story. This would have been outlandish, ridiculous to them, impossible to accrue that amount of debt. I heard this past week that Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, said that all of the taxes collected in his day from Judea and Samaria and Edomia was 600 talents, all the taxes combined. And here Jesus is saying, this one person, this one man, this one servant owed 10,000 talents. That's an estimate of around 100 million days of wages. Something that's just absolutely, completely ridiculous. And so, again, to Jesus' listeners at the time, he just said something absolutely crazy. Jesus just took the biggest number for which the Greek language had a word for and the largest denomination of money, and he put them together. And he said, yeah, that's what that guy owed. That's how much he owed the king. Just to make the point of how much debt this servant owed, it would be like an equivalent in the English language, something like me saying this guy owed a zillion $100,000 bills, which did you know they used to print $100,000 bills? I don't know why, but they did. They used to print those bad boys. You can look it up. Jesus is saying this guy owes a ridiculous amount of money, laughable to the people he's talking to. And so most people listening to Jesus would have thought, how is this even possible? What kind of person could even spend themselves into that kind of debt? But then the other great question is, what kind of king would be that patient? What kind of king would allow someone to go that far into debt? And then the story gets even more ridiculous to Jesus' listeners. Why? Look what the servant says to the king. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay it all back. The people would have again laughed. This is, not, this is not possible. This is the most ridiculous story of all time. You just got through telling me this guy owes a zillion $100,000 bills, and he says he's going to pay it back in his, in his lifetime. It's crazy. The story is outrageous. It's impossible. 
And it's at this point that Jesus has his listeners exactly where he wants them. Because he says in verse 27, the king took pity on him, cancels his debt, and let him go. He didn't say he would let him work it off. He would give him more time. It says that of the love that he has in his heart for this man, he took that outrageous amount of debt and he wipes it clean. It's gone. Go. You're free. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what debt feels like. I know what house debt feels like. I know what school loans feel like. I know what credit card debt feels like. And it's horrible. Will you guys do something with me for a second? Think about your greatest debt right now. Greatest dollar amount that you owe. Maybe it's a home loan. Again, maybe it's school loans. Maybe it's even, you know, some debt you accrued because of health care expenses. What's your biggest debt? Now imagine you get a phone call from the bank and they say, I have some good news for you. It has been paid in full. It's gone. You're never going to have to pay off your house. It's gone. The health care expense is gone. The credit card debt that you're just weighed down by every single month, it's gone. What would your reaction be? I think I would leap for joy and cry at the same time. It would be amazing. I would be beyond grateful to have my house paid off. But then Jesus says the next outrageous thing, that this man doesn't have a reaction of gratitude at all. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. Some versions say denarii which one denarii was about a day's wage, so 100 would have been about four months worth of wages, which is peanuts. It's nothing compared to a zillion $100,000 bills, right? But it says he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, and he begged him. And what's interesting is Jesus uses the exact same language, exact same language. says that the servant falls to his knees and he pleads, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And so to Jesus' listeners, this story just keeps getting more outrageous. They are sitting there listening and thinking, wait, so this servant owed an amount of debt that is the equivalent to the highest number in our language with the highest denomination of money in our time, somewhere around 100 million days wages, that person has their debt wiped clean, completely clean by the merciful king, only to find the person that owed him about four months worth of wages, and he doesn't forgive him his debt. He has him thrown in jail. Jesus' listeners would have been disgusted with this unmerciful servant. And Jesus says, yep. In my story, everyone was disgusted. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had, that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all 
he owed. And this is where it gets real interesting. Because Jesus turns to his listeners. I would argue he turns to every single one of us here this morning. And he says, this story is about you. It's about you. But he says, in this story, you're not the victim. He says, you're the unmerciful servant. Verse 38. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You see, the whole crowd wouldn't have identified with the first servant. They would have identified with the second one, which is, which is the servant most of us in this room would identify with, right? I am the guy that has been wronged here. I am the one that has been abused in my past. I am the one that has been hurt by the evil servant. I am outraged. How could that person do that? I'm the good guy in the story, the one who's been trampled on. When you see my face, I hope it gives you hell. I'm the one with the Louisville slugger. I am a Nigo Montoya. Pay back. But Jesus looks at the crowd and says, you're not the victim in this story that I'm telling. You're the unmerciful servant. You're the person in the story that has a zillion $100,000 bills in debt to me, your king, and I've let you go free. I've cleared all your debt. And if you don't forget those in your life that have hurt you, then guess what? You never appreciated my forgiveness in the first place. You never got it. Just like this jacked up servant who had his whole debt wiped clean and goes out almost like it never happened and sends his debtor to jail. Jesus says, listen, you can't have my forgiveness because you don't even understand it to begin with. Jesus is saying forgiven people People who understand mercy, give mercy. People that have been forgiven, forgive. People who understand their debt have been washed clean. Wash other people's debt clean. It's just that simple. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that God created humanity in his image with the desire to have a relationship with us. But that all of humanity try to find their life in something else besides the relationship with God. God's not enough. That we need more besides him to be happy. And so all of mankind has fallen trying to make other things our gods, a.k.a. that's what sin is. And sin always leads to the, to the destruction of relationships, always. It's why we have things in this world like human trafficking. Why we have things in this world like theft. My car was literally stolen this weekend. It was parked on my driveway and it's gone. It's like just someone stole my car. It's why we do things like we lie, why we, why we become addicted to things that destroy our families. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Yeshua, is that God always has had a plan to, rec to rescue us, to come after us, to get us back, to bring his kingdom to earth, to make everything that has gone wrong with this world right. And that was to pay our debt. That zillion $100,000 bills, that 100 million days of wages, Jesus paid for that debt on the cross by forgiving humanity of its past, present, even our future sin that we would be a part of his family forever. Jesus came to bear the pain of our world's sin. And he says, it's gone. If you trust me, you repent, it's gone. It's no more. You're washed clean. And as we understand that truth, the Bible tells us that God's spirit quite literally indwells in us. And the next thing we know, we, become, we start to become like him. 
Jesus likens it to a seed that the gospel is planted in our hearts and it starts to grow over time. And the next thing we know, we start to do the same things that he does. We start to forgive. My dad left my family when I was in the fourth grade. And I remember because of that experience, my heart become, became bitter, um, became angry, didn't understand how my dad could walk out on our family especially because he was a pastor, so it made it worse for me. Like of all the people on the face of the planet, like a pastor knows, you don't walk out on your family. I had a really, really tough time as a kid with knowing that this guy that's supposed to be good has done something that's, that's caused so much pain in my heart. And later on in middle school, I ended up going to a camp where I give my life to Jesus and I trust this idea that he's died for me. Everything that I've done in my past, everything I'm going to do in my future. And I start to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And he says, Gabe, you have to forgive your dad. You have to. And I would fight back. I was like, no way, man. I'm not forgiving that guy. There's no way. He doesn't deserve my forgiveness. And I'd hear the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit say, and you haven't made mistakes. And then I would fight back, but he was a pastor. He shouldn't have done that. Once again, I'd hear the Holy Spirit's gentle whisper, all men have fallen short of my glory, even pastors. And I'll never forget forgiving my dad. And then later on, soon after that, finding out that my dad had gone through horrible things as a kid, abandoned when he was really little, and experienced really a ton of abuse. And I remember the Holy Spirit once again speaking to my heart and saying, see, Gabe, this world is broken. Horrible things have happened to your dad. Horrible things have happened to you. But I have come to make this world right. Will you join me? Will you join me in bringing my kingdom to this earth? And one of the most profound ways that I do that is through forgiveness. Now, I know some of you guys are sitting in this room, and you're thinking, yeah, but Gabe, you don't know what I've been through. You have no idea how I've been hurt. You have no idea what's happened to me. How can you ask me to forgive? How could God ask me to forgive that person that sexually abused me or raped me? How could he ask that? How could he ask me to forgive that person that took my friend's life drunk driving that abandoned me at birth? How could God ask me to forgive them? That's way too much. And I want to stop right there and tell you forgiveness does not mean that you minimize or pretend that everything's okay. Or you act as if it's not a big deal. Like, ah, it's not a big deal. Didn't really affect me anyways. I had to really mourn the fact that my family fell apart. I had to mourn that. I had to acknowledge that, like, divorce is not good. It's so hard on everyone. I think forgiveness can only happen when we truly acknowledge the pain that's been caused. And I want to stop right there and say, 
at Cornerstone, if you have been a victim to sexual abuse, we stand on the side of the victim. We always do everything in our power to protect and care for victims. Always. I want to make that clear. We will do everything in our power to make sure you get the care and help that you need, the justice that should take place. We want you to know that if you've ever been abused, we will be there for you to help support. But again, I don't think we will ever truly have forgiveness in any relationship until we acknowledge the pain that was caused. But here's Jesus' words. If you consider yourself a part of his family, you have to forgive those that have hurt you. There is no place for bitterness and unforgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. I'll never forget listening to Rachel Denhollander's victim impact statement when she addressed Larry Nasser, a man responsible for the sexual abuse of hundreds of children in the Olympic gymnastic program. And her, in her statement, she both acknowledges the deep pain caused while at the same time, she expresses the deep understanding of, of God's forgiveness. And her statement's extremely long, but I'm just going to read a, a small portion. She says this, I want you to understand why I made this choice. Knowing full well what it was going to cost to get here. And with very little hope to ever succeed. I did it because it was right. No matter the cost, it was right. And the farthest I can run from what you have become is to daily choose what is right instead of what I want. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires, a man defined by his daily choices repeatedly to feed the selfishness and that perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it costs others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially, no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought the Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can er erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you throw it into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds the Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it, it, it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. 
I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we have to understand that forgiveness isn't an option. We cannot say we trust we have been forgiven of our sins while not extending the same forgiveness to others. And I'll be totally honest with you. This is a hard talk for me today. These past few years have had to relearn this idea of forgiveness. In a few weeks, Cornerstone will be back in the courtroom because we had a, a person that many of us loved and trusted like a brother who sexually abused a young teen. And being so close to this situation has been one of the most painful things I've ever gone through. So if you're in this room and you're like, man, I can't, I'm having a hard time forgiving the people that have hurt me. I want you to know I totally understand. I get it. Totally get it. The fact that we have to go through a, a trial right now is even more pain. But once again, this is why I'm a follower of Jesus. This is why I choose him. Because knowing Jesus gives me the strength to do the impossible. To take all the hurt, all the bitterness, and the anger, all the desire to pay back. And look to Jesus and his perfect innocence. See him bearing the weight of that sin. He covered it. See him bearing the weight of my sin, my lustful thoughts, my lies, my hurtful words, my anger that boiled over towards my kids, my gossip, all of my sins, past, present, and future. I look to Jesus and he tells me, I'll carry that. You don't have to. I look to Jesus and he gives me the strength to forgive myself. I look to the cross and I see him looking back down on me and saying, Gabe, I want you to experience life to the full. You have to forgive that person in your life that's hurt you. And I trust him. And I do. I forgive that person. I forgive him. I don't look at him as worse than me. We equally need the cross. Desperately need his grace and forgiveness and his mercy. So we're going to take communion. And I want you guys to take a moment and ask yourself the question, who is God calling you to forgive? Who is God asking you to forgive this morning? Maybe, again, it's someone from your past that has hurt you. Maybe it's yourself. He's been asking you for a long time to trust the depth, the beauty, the profound truth from the cross. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, that his love, the act of him dying on the cross covers it. It's the truth. So take a moment. And then we'll take the elements together.
And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Father, I pray for every person in this room that they'd have such a deep, profound understanding of your love, your sacrifice, your grace, your mercy. Lord, that they would be uh, moved in your strength, not their own, to forgive those in their life that have hurt them, that they could be set free. Not only free those that have caused the pain, but also that they could experience life to the full bitterness would be gone supernaturally the anger would be gone they could walk in your freedom I pray for those in this room God that they've struggled with letting themselves off the hook for years and years and years because of something they've done in their past I pray once again supernaturally they would understand in such a profound way how much you love them that you've always had a plan to rescue them come after them you've always had a plan to put this world back in order to redeem it Father we thank you that you teach us how to live in one of the greatest ways you teach us how to forgive so we praise you it's in Jesus name we pray amen will you stand